Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Tuesday episode of the Fraudology Podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. We've had some of the best guests on Fraudology over the last month, and especially coming off the heels of both episodes last week with Asaf Kipnis, who up until a few weeks ago was the engineering manager of integrity investigations at Facebook. He was so open about a lot of his experiences and the lessons that can be learned by his team, which were charged with investigating and really identifying ways to disrupt very large coordinated attacks And usually they were the most complex and pervasive attacks on their platform. That conversation was so enlightening and it's so hard to even try to top, but I think I'm pretty close today. I really enjoyed my conversation with Jenna Posner, Chief Digital Officer at Snipes, and I think you guys will too. It's not as often that I get to talk to people outside of fraud and trust and safety, those who haven't spent their entire career kind of micro-focused on this piece around transactions or account of keeping your company and your customers safe. But Jenna still does that, just at a much higher level. And I really enjoyed hearing her perspective of how fraud fits into that bigger picture. And I really encourage you guys to pay attention to the way that she talks about it as well. We as fraud leaders and fraud fighters can always get better at aligning fraud's goals with the business and explaining that to leadership, explaining that to other departments and even C-suite when you are given the opportunity. Too often, people are still thinking that fraud departments are all about just stopping chargebacks. But especially in the last couple of years, as good consumer behavior starts to kind of mimic risky behavior from a few years ago, those fraud systems that haven't innovated since then are really struggling. I don't want to take away the headline from when Shoshana Marini joins me in a couple of weeks to talk about some of the biggest lessons we learned in the fraud, the fraudology benchmarking survey that we put out for people to respond to earlier this year. We've been working on that final report that will be published in the next couple of weeks. But I will tell you that I was shocked, but not so surprised at the fairly high percentage of retailers. So we surveyed over 600 retailers or merchants in general. So in all verticals, not just retail. And one of the questions we asked was their approval rate. And I was pretty surprised at the high percentage of retailers or merchants in general who answered that their approval rate was less than 85%. That's saying that they are canceling more than 15% of their orders because they think that they're fraud or their fraud system thinks that they're fraud. And a lot of those companies are just trusting that fraud system. So it's definitely, I know a lot of companies that have been 
having to reassess that and recognize that's a big part of their fraud strategy is their fraud tool. And that's actually one of the things that Jenna and I talked about. And it was really interesting to get her perspective on just how much fraud impacts the bigger picture, because she's not just responsible for fraud. She's responsible for the entire P&L of their e-commerce channel in the U.S. So she's looking at how everything fits together and how at the end of the day, you want to have so much more profits over losses. And fraud can provide a lot of losses, not just through chargebacks, but through declining those good customers, because you're often not just declining that one transaction, you're declining their lifetime value and you're declining the opportunity to market to them and to add more sales and add more items and give them the full look and not just one item, those types of things. And so I really encourage you, like I said, to listen to how Jenna talks about how fraud fits into this. When she first joined Snipes, she pretty quickly learned four years ago, how much fraud losses, and like I said, both due to chargebacks and high declines due to suspected loss, but in how those can impact P&L, she also realized how much it was impacting customer service and the overall customer experience, especially in drop sales or hype selling, as it's called. A lot more of those are happening, especially in sneakers, which Snipes is definitely within selling sneakers and streetwear. and during those hype selling times, they realized that having to have high manual review was really a bad customer experience. Customers are wanting to make sure that they get the item in the right size and the right color and exactly what they want as soon as possible. And if it has to be manually reviewed for several hours, now you're getting more calls and customer service. And anyway, I will let Jenna explain all of that. But she really talked about how that helped her identify that the first piece of technology that she wanted to put in within the business was fraud technology, even though she's responsible for the entire thing. And actually her background of being in technology and in technology sales. So she was actually a SaaS salesperson, like a lot of the solution providers that we work with in our space, but for e-commerce generally. And so by her coming into retail, She's been able to really disrupt retail in a unique way and bring in bring in technology to provide so much data and to be data driven and provide more customer experiences. And all of that has added up to be to allow her and her team to increase revenue for Snipes over 10x in the last four years. And she credits fraud as a big part of that. So listen to how she talks about it and how important it is. And I highly suggest that you take some notes as you're explaining it to your leadership, as you're saying, hey, it's not just about stopping chargebacks anymore. It's about increasing our customer experience. It's about making sure that the accuracy is correct so we can keep building to our bottom line and increasing our revenue. And specifically, what how Jenna responded to my question about quote unquote good bots that often are being released as purchasing bots for People who the credit card's good and everything else, but they're using a bot so they can cut the line for those high demand, limited inventory items. And her answer to that question blew me away. It was something I've certainly thought of a lot of arguments to the business of why of certain policies and things like that. But that's a very real issue that companies are having to face, right? Okay, a sale is a sale. And if it's not fraud, we should just let it. But what's that customer experience? 
And not only what's the customer's experience, but what's the fallout for you as the retailer? And Jenna's response to that was pretty impressive. In fact, I just happened to have a call with the CEO of a brand retailer later that day after Jenna and I had this conversation. And they're a retailer that I'll be working with in my consultancy over the next few months. And as we were talking about scope, the topic of bots came up and the CFO was saying, this is a real challenge for us because we're not, some people in our organization are saying, hey, money is money. And if we're not getting a chargeback, we should approve this. And I had my normal talking points to that. But then I said, I just had a really interesting conversation with the CDO of Snipes. And they sell sneakers and streetwear. They're really popular. And this is what she said about them and why they've made the policy decisions that they have. And I saw him write it down. So, of course, I gave Jenna credit for that. I'm always big on giving credit where credit is due. But as you listen to this, I just hope that you get some great ideas as well and that you really enjoy this conversation. I know that you will. So with that let you listen in on my conversation with Chief Digital Officer of Snipes, Jenna Posner. I have Jenna Posner on the podcast today, and Jenna is the Chief Digital Officer for Snipes. And Jenna, I'm going to let you explain what Snipes is and who you are. You can probably do it much better than I can, but Thanks so much for making the time to come on Fraudology today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So yes, Jenna Posner, CEO of Snipes. Snipes is a global sneaker and streetwear retailer. We've been alive and thriving in Europe since 1998. We sell Nike, Adi, Puma, Adi, all the top sneakers you can think of. Work into a finish line or a footlocker. And we came to the U.S. by way of acquisition in early 2019. We acquired a local chain out of Philadelphia. We had three subsequent acquisitions after that. And we have been growing the business tremendously over the past four years. We now have over 300 stores. We have 10x digital over the past four years. It's been... That's incredible. Uh, it's been wild. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We're on this kind of invisible rocket ship, I like to say. Yeah. I and mean, we definitely saw this sneaker industry just skyrocket during COVID for lots of reasons. I think one of them being the high reseller market. That was something that people could earn money and they realize, oh, some sneakers, if I get one on a drop, you know, something like that, and then resell them, I can make 5X or 6X just by sitting. And that's, I think, when a lot of sneaker companies noticed it. However, I mean, you guys have been growing for a long time and sneakers have too in streetwear mm -hmm. as well. I just think that was maybe a little bit of rocket fuel on the fire, so to speak, during that time. Is that what you guys saw too? Or was it more organic? growth because you were right. in a new market. It was all of it, right? It was people are staying home. It was there was more disposable income, right? Yeah. Less less travel and entertainment was being spent. So there was just more. And I think we've got a number of different consumer types. One one being the consumer that buys our products and wears them. Yeah. Has an identity around people still products. wear sneakers. What? <laughs> oh my gosh, they do. They definitely do. <laughs> then there's the collector, right? The consumer that loves the product, cherishes the product, wants to hold that product. And for those, we describe them as the rock one, stock one kind of consumer, where like they try to buy one to wear and buy one to hold. And then you've got your kind of your reseller and consumers that are just buying to turn a profit. And so trying to identify those consumers in real time and make sure that we're serving them appropriately is definitely something that was amplified through the pandemic, having so much volume and velocity going through our systems. 
gave us an opportunity to really look at the tech and best practices to make sure that we are protecting the product and our consumers through that. And we learned a lot. We have a lot of battle scars, but we also have a lot of badges of honor. And we came out the other end more profitable and faster growing. So it was really a great opportunity for us in the end. It's so cool. And I think that's the way a lot of us, whether we spend the majority of our career or even our daily job fully focused on fraud and all that entails and abuse and all that, or if that's just a part of it, it's looking at what can we learn and how can we do better, but also trying to make sense of the noise, right? Because when you have three different types of consumers and they're coming in all different ways and have different types of behavior, they're expecting you to know who they are and what their intentions are. Or trying not to be known in some cases. That was, that's a good point. I was literally about to say, or the opposite. They want you to think that their intention is one thing when it's something else, right? It's always this conundrum that all e-com companies have, especially if they haven't been in e-commerce, especially in the U.S. for that long, because the U.S. is a whole different beast from Europe, as I'm sure you guys learned. I've worked with my share of merchants who have, will be based in Europe or in Asia, and then they come over to the U.S. and they think it's all just going to be amazing, like rainbows and sunshine (laughs) and lots of sales and no bad things. And they can just copy and paste whatever they did for fraud prevention for what they did in countries that have PSD2 or other things. So yeah, lots of... Yeah, it's been very interesting being a part of a global organization. When I was hired to take on this role, originally VP of Digital, now CDO, one of my biggest concerns was, are we going to be, is this whole thing going to be dictated? Is this roadmap going to be laid out? Like, need to implement. This is how this is going to work. This is your path to success. And one thing my CEO told me was, take what you want and leave what you want. We've got this unbelievable success in Europe. Um, We've selected some really good tech and we can absolutely be your guide, but we're not going to dictate how you guys are going to attack the U.S. market. And I think that autonomy has, especially through the lens of the pandemic and even all of the political time that was woven into that around civil unrest and George Floyd, and that really impacted us as an organization and our store footprint pretty dramatically, having the autonomy to look at what's in front of us, understand our market, and understand where our risks really were, gave us the ability to prioritize the right tech at the right time. And we were very lucky to have right-sized fraud before the pandemic, because if we had it, we would have been in a very different situation, like totally unscalable situation. So yeah, yeah. let's yeah, let's talk about that. First, I, yeah, I love the fact that I told you this before we recorded that you're, it's not the main part of your job to just focus on fraud prevention or letting your customers in. But you still, in a lot of ways, I still consider you a fraud fighter. And anyone who's fighting fraud, none of us, like, I don't know, wanted to be this when we grew up. It didn't exist. At least for me, e-commerce did not exist when I was growing up. But but I'm old, but there's still... It's okay. I'm old too. I'm in a backwards hat, but whatever. You at least know know that the cool brands or whatever were. I'm like, I don't know. My kid is much more that she's 19, so she's a lot more in that that demographic. But yeah, so, you know, we didn't know that this existed. We could all fell into it from so many different ways. Some from military background, some from the NSA, some from there's one person that I often mention because he's a former NFL player and now fraud fighter. There's a former molecular biologist that I know works for a very large telco, like random stuff, but every perspective actually. Um, and every background brings such different and unique thoughts, which is something I love. So I love to ask every one of my guests how they ended up 
being responsible for e-commerce fraud and even thinking about it. So your journey. Yeah. 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 I actually came into this opportunity from the retail tech side. So I spent the majority of my career building technology, selling technology, enabling integrations, codifying partnerships, go-to-market strategies, and serving retailers. And I was pitching my now boss at a conference at Shop Talk, actually. Yeah. Four, four years ago, in you know, almost to the day. And by the end of the conversation, she made it clear that she wanted to continue the discussion. And halfway through coffee, about a week later, she offered me the role. And my... My thought was absolutely not. I'm a technologist. I'm not a retailer. This is crazy. I wouldn't even know where to begin. Her response to me was, we've got enough legacy retail thinking to last us a lifetime. That's not what we need. We need a technologist. We need an innovator. We need someone to come in and shake things up and look at things differently. Have a different lens on when looking at the business and trying to identify priority, low-hanging fruit, opportunities, processes, et cetera. And so I thought, you know, what a cool opportunity to see how the other half lives. What a cool opportunity to come in and say, okay, my technology brain, not my retail brain, but my technology brain. How can I come look at this practice and create some lift? And so I came in and ironically, or not so ironically, the first piece of technology I put in was Forder. When I assess the tech stack, you're looking for a few things. You want to come in and have an early win, right? Because you want to be able to like have a win and earn some trust and respect when your executive team to say, hey, I noticed a deficiency. I bought some tech. I put it in. I made some change. Yeah. Don't ask me any more questions. Just right. Like, let me keep going. <laughs> Look how good I am. I've got wind behind myself. So That's let me right. keep going. Yep, I yeah. hear you. So I looked at the stack and I was trying to figure out where did I want to begin? I was about to embark on a replatform. So I didn't have a lot of, you're not really going to, you're not going to rip something out and replace it if you're about to completely replatform. So I thought, all right, that narrows my focus. I can only implement something now if it's easy to implement and if it's going to follow us through to the Salesforce environment after we replatform, mm-hmm. right? That's a little safe. So that kind of narrowed my focus a little bit. and. When I started looking at the business and where we were having the most friction, A, our approval rate was absolutely trash. B, our customer service reps were spending manual hours determining if our transactions were fraudulent or not, which made no sense to me. Did I say one and two or A and B? But three or C, we have this part of our business that is that revolves around hype selling. You talked about it a little bit, that reseller market. When you have this, this low quantity high demand product so that has aftermarket value, you've got all sorts of people that come and try to secure it, right? So you've got bot activity, you've got consumers, and you just get this these high traffic times that really stresses your environment. And mm-hmm. what was happening for us when you're dealing with having a bad fraud provider is that these orders that are trying to get pushed through the system that get put on hold for fraud review, right? For mm-hmm. that manual intervention, what that customer service team was doing, it slows that whole hype selling process down. It makes that pain, that volume, that velocity, that stress on the environment so much longer, hours instead of minutes, right? Where, and then on top of all of that, you have humans, which are not as good at making decisions compared to tech, right? Hey, sitting saying, I don't know, this guy seems kind of fishy to me. Like, where's his address? Like, how do I feel about the, I, there's no, like how we don't even have any like data to say, I think this guy's fraudulent, approved or declined. So when I looked into the process, I thought, where is the bottleneck here? What mm. slowing this whole thing down? And I tore open the fraud solution a little bit more. And I realized what was happening is the intent on the implementation was good. You have all these fraud providers that come in and say, oh, yeah, real-time decisioning. And, oh, yeah, fraud forgiveness. And, like, all these buzzwords that, like, help de-risk it for you and give you mm. confidence that it can deliver a positive outcome for you. And I think that whoever selected that tech had the right intention. Yeah. But because of the nature of our business, 
And the consumer base that we serve, we have a higher fraud risk, hands down, than most yeah. industries. And so what was happening is they were making bad decisions. And because of the fraud forgiveness, they were taken on the chin for a long time. And we became a loss for them. They were no longer making any money on us. And so rather than honoring the contract, they backed out. They refused to offer the fraud forgiveness. And they put us in a model that says, all right, we're going to do rules-based now. We're not going to make the decision. If, it, if you score over a certain score, we'll let it through. If it's under, you guys have to make the decision. Risk is on you. Wow. So looking at this whole, I'm like, this is not right. This right. is slowing the whole process down. It's jamming up our hype selling times. It's putting the risk on us and on humans. And we don't have tech in place that can actually leverage the right data to make the right decision at the right time. And I was like, this is it. This is my target. I'm going after this one. So lucky for me, I'd been in the tech space for over a decade. I'd been combing conference room floors and learning about every piece of tech on the planet yeah. and talking many that would listen, trying to build partnerships and go-to-market opportunities for the tech I was representing. I went down the path with Forder and I really leaned into what makes them unique. And there were a few things that I found. Obviously, they deliver on the promise of real-time decisioning and fraud forgiveness. So amen. I cannot tell you, well, why is the blue moon like too We're not going to cover that. That's right. Yeah. But what I loved the most about their model was the concept of the pooled fraud model. Having the power of the collective group where their decisions are being pooled into a common data pool and allowing me to leverage the good or bad calls that are happening across our entire network of clients. And so when I looked at it and when I dug in more, I realized that the only other tech company that had a larger fraud pool than Forder was actually Amazon. And mm. Amazon. Oh, Amazon's a retailer. No, Amazon's <laughs> a tech company. Let's be honest. Oh, yeah. So that was really interesting to me. And I thought, all right, I like this. Anonymized data, leveraging the power of the group to make this decision, and I want to give it a shot. So the implementation was really smooth. They were in listening for about two weeks. We flipped the switch and we saw an immediate impact, immediate lift. And yeah, something that was so ripe and raw and painful in the organization to see that kind of relief. I, I like earned my, I earned my first badge of honor by Stipes. And I was like, the CFO was pretty, pretty wary to touch it, right? He's like, so bad. I don't want to make this worse. I'm sure. And I'm like, I'm sure. Like, we're doing this. Like, it's, trust me, it can't get much worse than this. We can't have to go for it. So we did. And it was, yeah, it just like really set the tone for my ability to select tech, um, implement tech. And it, I really hit the ground running with Snipes and it, it paved the way for all that, all that came next. So I can't imagine you, I mentioned it before. Had you not done that first? Had you not prioritized that, especially not knowing what was around the corner in March of 2020, none of that would have been able to scale, right? Because you already have such a long tail of customers who just want to know that they got their order process right now because they don't want to not have their size or the item that they want. And so I know from other merchants, I know that have similar either business models as you guys, or at least have the whole low inventory or not low inventory, but limited inventory. Mm -hmm. and high demand that that in itself, just that waiting period of seven hours or whatever you said, like that clogs up your customer service lines. And if your customer service department is also doing manual review, now it's taking even longer and it's like feeding this thing and your brand never would have grown. So not only would you guys not have been able to scale for the pandemic, but like your, your brand reputation, because you were new from, am I like, People have like so much anxiety living that reality. Oh, sorry. Not, not possible reality. Right? Not, like, yeah, yeah, this alternative universe, right? Yeah, because you were new to the US. Nobody had heard us. People had, but not that much, right? They want to try right. Okay. 
usually I go to this retailer, but because of this and this problem, I'm going to try these guys. But if they fail on the first run, like I'm not going I'm back out. them. Yeah, you lose their LTV, you lose their brand loyalty, and you get nasty gram written about you on Reddit or Twitter and all the sneakerhead posts and all the other things. So it's not just about that one sale, right? It's longevity. And I can't imagine that you would have been able to 10x your revenue if you would have had that reputation, even without the pandemic. Sardine is now sponsoring Fraudology. And one of the reasons I've been so impressed by Sardine is their founder, Soups Ranjan. You'll hear my full conversation with him in the next few weeks, and you'll get to hear about some of his experiences and his passion for fraud fighting for yourself. But the TLDR, or the high-level summary, is that he started out as a fraud fighter with an engineering and data science background, and he was tasked with quickly identifying a fraud solution for one of the fastest-growing companies in the relatively new and high-risk crypto industry almost a decade ago. But after learning about the available options for online fraud detection, he became frustrated with the existing tools on the market. And as fellow fraud fighters, I think a lot of us know exactly the kind of tools he was frustrated with. The legacy fraud tools that just return a score or a signal or a yes, no, maybe without your team getting to understand all of the aggregated data or the value attributed to each data point that goes into calculating that score or the vendor who won't give you your company's data for your own models and their own user interface was probably an afterthought. And let's be honest, Soup wasn't the only one who's been frustrated by the status quo in fraud technology. But not all of us are able to rage quit our jobs, recruit a few of the smartest risk engineers we've ever known, and go build a fraud platform that is truly built by the fraud squad for the fraud squad. A platform for KYC, AML, and payment risk all in one product that lets the client company decide how to best use the massive amounts of data that's available to them. And that's pretty much exactly what Soups did a few years ago. And the result of those efforts has become one of the fastest growing solution providers in fraud that I've seen in many years. And that company is Sardine. To learn more about Sardine or to book a personalized demo, you can go to www.sardine.ai or just click the link at the top of the description for today's episode. It would have been so awful, to be honest. Like it's, and think about it as well. Like even during the pandemic, our stores were shut down. So this hype product Mm. that let's say we get 10 to 15% of, we would have had all of it. So we would have been dealing with decisions on all of it. It would have just been absolutely unsustainable. We would not have made it. When I came on board, we were sitting on Magento One. (laughs) It would have been been so bad. Worked with a European large, well-known brand that was sitting on Magento One when I started. So many yeah. memories. Rough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, I'm so thankful we did it. And I think what's great too about the relationship is that I find this with most of my tech relationships that are driving value is that I always look, I'm again, I'm a technologist masquerading as a retailer, right? So I have to help. It's like these ideas and concepts around the technology. And I believe that if you create these relationships that really revolve around reciprocity and trust and vision, you can really build good tech together. And it's not just good tech, it's tech that's going to help drive my agenda. Right. So I can come back to Forder and say, hey, what if it did this? Or what if it did that? Or, and they know that I've got the best interest of the tech at heart. I'm more likely to help advance their roadmap and help drive more value to them. And in return, I get tech that's going to help solve my needs. And so they're a great example of that. They've been an unbelievable partner and it really 
got a little bit more creative around the bot concept. Going back to them and saying, hey, I understand how your technology works. Mm -hmm. I understand policies and how you can tighten the reins or loosen the reins around this concept of fraud. But I have a real need to tighten the reins around consumers that are machines that are trying to purchase our product. And the reason I want to do that is, A, because Nike, we believe in fairness, right? We want to create a fair buying experience for everyone. But in reality, every time a bot gets a shoe, StockX gets my customer data. I don't get the customer data. The bot gets the shoe, gets listed on StockX, StockX sells to the consumer, and then they get the customer data. And so I lose an opportunity to build LTV with that customer. And yes, in the moment, their money's green. It's not fraudulent. It's not fraud, but it's stealing my data, right? So it's just a good way of saying it. Like your end customer, you don't know who that end customer is because nope. the reseller is sitting in the middle. I can't sell. Of all the conversations I've yes. had about bots, that is one I haven't ever thought of. So I'm, and again, this is why I love <laughs> having these conversations because we all have different perspectives, right? And because yeah. you come from the technology side, which by the way, way more retail needs to hire technologists. Let's be clear. That's why Indeed. Snipes has, that's, there's a reason Snipes has gone, grown so quickly on the digital channel so fast. Yeah. I do get to work with retailers who are tech first and digital first. And though you don't, to me, you don't seem out of place because that's yeah. there. But in like old school retail, yeah. But then also just having that perspective from the business side, right? Like you're charged with sales, right? Your KPIs aren't around how much fraud did you stop and how much chargebacks did you prevent? Your KPIs are much higher level of how much money did you bring in on the top level and how much did you have to give out on the back end? But it's not, it's, so you're looking at it from this much higher place. I told you before we started, I really want more <laughs> fraud, fraud fighters to understand the business case and right. be able to talk to their leadership about that and being able to say, hey, because there are some retailers who have made the decision, credit card's good. I don't care if it's a bot. Yeah. I don't care if it's a reseller doing arbitrage in another country. I don't care if they're, and, but that's such a good point. Like you lose your end customer's data. I, when, I can't sell a full fit to a bot. Yeah. Yeah. The bot doesn't, they don't want it. it. It's yeah. And it's not their, yeah, it's not their size. It's not their, no, they don't care. So that's really the crux of it on our end. It's great. We've invested in shop the look. Okay. That's not going to, it's not even, there's no, yeah, right. they're not going to add. I yeah, you're, they're not going to add all of the pieces. They're not going to create. They're not going to add more SKUs or more. They're going to keep coming back to your site to then get the matching sweatshirt or the matching hat or the matching all those things. You can't go back to them in marketing because and it comes up our data too. There. Because a lot of our communication mm. is ideally automated. So now you're using a fake email address that's chewing up your emails. That's being it's undeliverable or you're sending that they want to seem like a real email so they're accepting the future marketing emails but it's just there's nothing good about it there's mm. literally nothing good about it so i went back to forder and i said hey if i tell you based on what we've seen what a bot looks like can you block them at the pre-off i tell you whether it's time between attempts number of attempts et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If this is right. non-behavior somehow they managed to get through our wall at the top and all the other CDN and all the other technology that we have in place to mitigate this, can you be my last line of defense and build a tool that will have policies around bot behavior to block mm -hmm. them at the pre-auth? The beauty of blocking it at the pre-auth is that you're not reserving any inventory. So you're not slowing down this whole release process. You're allowing the inventory to live out in the universe and be reserved for real human. So it's, I went back to Forder and I asked them to do this. And long story short, they built it. They productized it. We use it. Many of our competitors use it now. 
you're welcome, competitors. <laughs> and it, it's been a huge success. And I think such a great indicator of what a great partner they are and their willingness to listen to those business problems and turn them into tech solutions. So, yeah, it's been yeah, cool. Because using the previous company that you worked with, and unfortunately, there's a handful of them out there these days that have similar ethos around not innovating, right? Not R&D, basically saying, hey, we can't, as you shared, right? They basically said, we can't do a good enough job stopping fraud for you, so we're losing money. So we're just going to put you on this thing, but we're still going to charge you. We weren't good at our job, but we're going to stop. And so obviously it wasn't in their ethos to say, how can we do this better? How can we improve? Had you gone to them, I also know that a lot of them don't want to do things pre-auth for lots of reasons too. One of the things when I was doing my own research and looking into it, and Forer is one of the few that I do recommend, and I don't say that lightly publicly at all ever. I, I don't think there's ever one that's a right fit for every single company, but they are dang close. One of the reasons why is because they kept innovating, they kept changing, and, and their customers love them. They're sadly, uh, after the last three, four years, not everybody, that's not the case. Jen is <laughs> she's one of them too. Like, it's kind of cool when you yeah. really think about it, when you think about the pooled fraud scenario, the mm-hmm. bigger they get, the bigger the pool, the more accurate they are. It's like the bigger they swim. get, the more powerful they are. And it's like, <laughs> great, keep signing deals, keep growing the pool. Right. Like, oh, it's harder, better. It's, it's growing great. a lot lately because of that, because their competitors aren't lining up on their interests. But I want to go into that, the pool data, because there are other companies that claim the same thing, right? They say the power of the network, it's more of a consortium, but they use similar terms. They're doing, they're working with the data differently, or they'll say all of our, all of our clients are using the same machine learning model. And so therefore you're all in it together. But if we have very different business models, that's a, that's a whole other problem. So when you were talking to other companies, Mm -hmm. when you were looking at it from okay, I know I, this is going to be my first big thing that I do here. I want to make sure that I do it well, but also what were some of the things that stood out to you? Because I think that's a challenge that all providers have, even Forder, to be able to say, wait, I know we say that we do the same things as everyone else, but we're different. So what stood out to you that made you go, okay, they are different? Remember, I got to cheat. Yeah, I'm with you. I I (laughs) have matching failed deployments, unsatisfied customer. (laughs) And had been on the implementation side, watching some of these go wrong or get ripped out. And I got to hear all the real, like, horror yes. direct from retailers as to why I they were leaving. And so I did go in a little bias, right? I went yep. into the search bias. I also got to obviously vet one of the incumbents because I was walking into the scenario. And uh, because one of the incumbents, one of the one of the companies that maybe are similar to them was already deployed in. in I, right. Yes, right yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thanks. And so then it really boiled down to the, the two big guys for me. And when I was looking at them, obviously we ended up going with Forder, but the other was working with Foot Locker, was working with Finish Line, claimed to have like sneaker logic and sneaker rules. But it's once you uncover it you try to get you peel the onion back and learn more it's like there was just nothing there right and so i just again the benefit of selling technology for a decade mm. is that you know how to sniff out the bs and yeah. so i was smelling it i was feeling like this this sounds great but i don't see it i asked to speak i asked to speak to some of our competitors about their utilization and they refused it was either a hey i'm not going to talk to a competitor which is totally legit i get it or it was a hey, I'm not going to be a reference for whatever reason. So ironically, when we acquired Jimmy Jazz about a year, a little over a year ago, they were using 
the tech that I hadn't selected. Ah, interesting. And so I had a really great opportunity to compare them. And there was actually a time where I was like, all right, we're, we're transitioning. We're going to deprecate this site. We're going to transition it out. Should I swap them out for Forder right now? In hindsight, I wish I had. I waited. I didn't. I thought we were yeah. going to deprecate a little sooner than we had. But it, yeah, it was bad. Yeah, it wasn't great. I think that the uh, the representment offers are also just a little vacant. It's not fighting chargebacks on our behalf. No one's going to fight a chargeback like a finance team, right? We ended up keeping all that in-house. We do that ourselves. So it was interesting. Forder felt like the most authentic. And they're an Israeli company. Come on. Israeli is no fraud. Israeli is no scam. Yes, they do. And like an operator. It was just oh. like, this is the way. I, yes, I have. <laughs> I am so lucky to have so many awesome friends that either are currently or, pre, or former Israeli. Because of being in this industry, and I, that's a side note, but very much <laughs> love their honesty and their their humor, their very direct humor, which I had Doriel on the podcast a few weeks ago. Oh, nice. Yeah. I didn't know that before this, he wanted to be a neuroscientist or neuro, yeah, neuroscientist and that he used to cut up brains in university. He said it was like cutting shawarma. And I was like, we're leaving this in the podcast. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he also wanted to be an actor before that. But we all come with these different things. But I think those are good points because that's something that a lot of merchants, when I talk to them, have a real challenge with is they either have most of them, even if they are fraud, they're lifetime fraud people or they've been in fraud and they say they care about the data. It's crazy to me because, yeah, if we care about the data, then why are we taking people's word for it that they do the same thing as everyone else? And I am very lucky as well. Like, like you call it, got to cheat and got to hear the behind the scenes of the things that nobody's going to talk about when you're like, holy hell. And when I'm when I'm hired to be a consultant and a company doesn't have time to look, it's like, I'm going to give you the three companies I know are going to be good. And I know I yeah, I know you heard for some of that. But like, have you talked to anybody that's used them in the last year? Because right. quite honestly, knowing which provider you were referring to a minute ago, like three years ago, there wouldn't have been much difference. There right. wouldn't, I don't think you would have seen much of a difference Yep. this last year. And I think a big part of it is because customers, good consumers are using a lot of the same techniques and tactics that used to be considered risky just a few years ago. Like mm -hmm. how many times are you listening to a tech, at least for me, how many times am I listening to a tech podcast? I know you're not going to assume that you're as nerdy as I am, but you know, and they're talking about VPNs, right? Pivot with Kara Swisher and, or whatever else, right? And they're you know, VPNs are the way to go. And it's like, gosh, three, four years ago, if you're using fraud technology that hasn't innovated since then, now those good customers that are using VPNs are going to be seen like they're calling from across the world and they're using an IP proxy or something like that or the yep. bot thing. So one question I did have you for you on the bot piece is just, I do know that some of the companies that, or at least conversations I've had fairly recently with a couple of retailers that are in a similar situation and they don't sell sneakers, right? But they have well-known brands. They have limited edition items. That's becoming a lot more of a trend. They There's worries throughout the company in different areas that we have good customers that use bots, right? So because you can set a purchasing bot, you can set it up to try to get yourself the item that you want. And because they are somewhat more available to the everyday person, and it's not something you need a Tor browser and an onion router for and all those things anymore. Is that something that you worry about? Or is it something that you just communicate to your customers and say, hey, we want you to get this product. You need to wait in line. Or how do you handle that? Or do you even see it? So sensitive topic, but I will share a bit. Okay. I don't share too much because it's- 100%. 
really great for the bot community not to know how we do this. Yeah, and I, and I don't that, want you to. Sh- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There are a lot yes. of things we don't share on this podcast for yeah those same reasons. <laughs> I've been talking about these hype selling times. Yeah, these hype selling times revolve around the hype, the hypest of the hype product, right? That yeah. product and make sure it gets in the hands of good consumers. If somebody wants to come to our site during off-hype hours and use a bot to buy 400 pairs of socks, I'm fine with that. Come on. Right. In fact, we allow bot activity in non-hype hours because we don't want bots to be able to come and test. We have very specific logic, very specific rules, limits, running all the way from the top of the funnel all the way down to the pre-off, digital cues and bot mitigation strategies, CDNs, rate limiting. There's a lot yep. that goes to keeping that product and our real consumers safe. So yeah, you want to come buy a bunch of inline Air Force Ones? Come run your bots on our site, please. <laughs> High margin, no problem. Come take them, but, I'm but really, yeah, when you think about the hype, it's an acquisition tool for us. People are so loyal to that product, so loyal to Jordan. They're so loyal to Nike. And if we can use that to satisfy one existing or new real customer, we know we've got a real shot at driving a significant LTV with them. And that's mm. that's everything, right? That's yeah. That's our bread and butter. So a lot of time, dollars, resources, humans, go into, and tech, go into protecting that product and the consumer trying to secure it. That's such a good point. You're, you really are looking at the big picture, right? You're not looking at per transaction. You're looking at, okay, so hypothetically, if there's one person who just runs a whole bunch of bots across every single retailer that sells this one particular shoe because they really want it for themselves, that's probably not the customer, that they're not worth as much to us as the customer who's going to sit down and wait in the queue and be there and then we can acquire them and then sell them the matching hat and then the next version of the shoes and the next of those things and really build that relationship with your customer that their long-time relationship and the lifetime value is worth that kind of shorter gain and I think that's a it's testament to the fact that you aren't just micro-focused on fraud don't get me wrong fraud is fraud and it's important yeah when you've seen what happens when it's out of control right absolutely Often, I think I just said this last episode, so I'm sorry if anyone just heard that, but I think fraud is a lot like dusting, right? Like people, you don't notice it unless it hasn't been done. If it's not doing well, right? Like you don't notice it unless good people are blowing up your customer service line and saying, what the hell? You're not noticing it unless your backs are out of control and you're having one of those naughty list conversations with your payment processor. You don't notice it. Those those are really fun, by the way. I love those. (laughs) That was actually how I got my start. My start in the industry was being the payment processor and the person who put the naughty list. Yeah, yeah that, I was really everyone's favorite person. <laughs> but as we're, I knew that this time would fly. But as we're starting to close, close out this conversation, and I hope you'll come back and that we can chat more about some of these like more detailed things sometime. What advice do you have for people who aren't looking at the bigger picture as the CDO of a company, who aren't looking at it from, I think a fair amount of people in this industry are looking at it from a technical background, but not as a technologist, not in the same way, not looking at it from the big picture, looking at it just, I am responsible for this and this piece, and maybe my only KPI is chargebacks, or I've just, I haven't adjusted to the times because, and then that's natural for a lot of reasons, right? Up until 10 years ago, we were more focused on fraud than we were good customers. When they have to have conversations with their leadership and their leadership says, hey, we already have a fraud solution and they're all the same. And we, it's going to be better use of our funds and our resources and our limited engineering resources to implement something flashy and fun on the marketing side or something different over here or there. 
why does it matter on those yeah. margins to yep. care about fraud and change our provider? What can be the difference? Is it that big? Yeah, the short answer is yes, it's that big. But I would say as far as advice goes, there is a very easy path to living in a silo in retail. Very easy path to staying in your lane, knowing your role, and delivering on that role. But there are very clear avenues for partnership across the retail industry into customer service, into finance, into customer identification. And what I would recommend is sit down with your head of customer service. Try to find ways to understand how can the data points that you're collecting in fraud, how can that help them be better at their jobs? How can you, through the lens of customer service and tools like Salesforce Service Cloud or whatever your portal is, how can you leverage some of these data points to make them stronger, better, fast, and better serve consumers? Because that's where the lift is. If you can have a better, smoother customer experience, whether it's refunding, whether it's handling a chargeback, whether it's whatever it might be, those lanes, those lines, those, the plumbing between those systems aren't quite clear yet. Right. And I think it's a very cool way to say, hey, my practice matters. I can make these other practices more valuable. So let's rip this thing out and then let's invest in making sure that these systems are communicating so we can all be better together. I think that is a great way to elevate yourself, your agenda, and your impact on the business. Wow. If you had a microphone, I'd tell you to drop it. Like, I'm I complete dork, but I mean it. Like, it's just, I, that's 100%. I think, especially as it is retail, especially so many companies see Amazon as their biggest competitor. In a lot of ways, they are. Mm-hmm. It always made me laugh. There are some retailers, and I think they've had to change their rules now as recently as three, four years ago, they had company-wide policies that they couldn't even work with vendors that used AWS because they didn't want to give their competitor money. And I'm like, guys, they don't care. They don't (laughs) see you as a competitor. Not only are we not going to use it for ourselves, but we won't work with anyone that does. They don't care about those pennies. I mean, it doesn't, it's not going to make a difference. But for you, for the the non-Amazon, it makes a huge difference. And the way that you look at the value of the customer experience, and I really feel like this has been one of my many, one of my many rants that I often will say more than a few times here and there over several episodes is I feel like we do ourselves a disservice by calling the department the fraud department. It really mm-hmm. should be revenue protection or revenue generation, customer, yeah. customer revenue protection, whatever it is. It's because especially these days with customers looking risky too, it's not as clear. Fraud yeah. is trying to look like you said, fraud is trying to look like they have the motivations and they have the intentions of a good person. And a good person doesn't know how to look like they're a good person because we don't teach them or train them and nor do they care because they just expect you to know. And so those, it's getting, the gap is getting wider and wider between insulting your customer and not. And when you, every customer you decline, you're not just declining that transaction, you're basically referring them to your competitor for life. And you also miss out on those extra upsells that you'll never get to do, not, you know, the ones that they planned to do. I think that's such a good point and being able to explain to the business. And I hope that people will send this episode to their leadership, to their own chief digital officers who are like, why would I care about fraud? And aren't they all the same? Just it's not that every CRM is the same, but the differences between them aren't as vast Mm -hmm. as the differences between fraud solutions. Right. And so most leadership within e-commerce, they only have so much time and bandwidth and space to think about things. And they're just thinking, okay, it's just the same as any other tech that we've had to make a decision between A or B. There's not that much of an adult. Any last words on that or anything else? Yeah, I think they're just looking at price, not results, right? Yes. Because what it's going to cost me, here's what the business case says. 
But what they're not looking at is a change in approval rate. Uh, yeah, the approval rate's everything, right? Yeah. The good news with us is that our approval rate went up, our chargebacks went down, mm-hmm. and our attempts went down because we basically showed fraudsters they can't shop here. Yeah. Like they kind of shifted their gaze onto someone else. And so mm-hmm. it just, it made our whole environment so much more healthy. And uh, yeah, it's... And I'm sure your CFO is not That's only well. happy because of that, but you're probably paying your payment processor a lot less in authorization fees for those attempts. You're paying a lot less in chargeback fees. And there's so many residual like ripple effects yeah. of a healthy e-commerce ecosystem that often don't get mentioned, but they're huge because everything in e-com like relies on the profit margin. Yes, and so, my PNL, my PNL is very happy. And if your PNL is happy, then everyone <laughs> should be happy. <laughs> Jenna, thank you so much. We didn't even get a chance to talk about your career as an athlete before this or anything else, but I always enjoy geeking out with people who love e-commerce as much as I do and especially this part of it. So thanks again so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.